Welcome to the Defend the North podcast. I am your co-host, Dana Eisfeld. I'm joined today by my cousin, Isaac. And Isaac, last time we were on, exactly two weeks ago, we recorded a podcast about the Timberwolves and their prospects and free agency. And literally an hour after we hit the stop record button, the Rudy Gobert trade goes down. So there's been two weeks now to kind of digest it after our initial reactions. You know, a lot of national input. A lot, of, a lot of folks in the, in the market with some commentary. So where have you landed on, on on in respect to what the Timberwolves did back on July 1st? Yeah. I mean, first off, what great timing by us, huh? Why can't we just <laughs> wait a couple hours and then we can well, like whole segment to talk about Rudy? But, um, geez, yeah. Um, so I think I'm still like kind of uh, kind of a little shocked by the whole thing. I mean, it's it's... It's it's hard because it's like I love it. Um, even like listening to the last podcast, right? It's like the starting center. I had said that's what I want this off season. That's it, right? That's, that's what we need on this team. And sure enough, they went and did it. But I just think I am just I don't know. It, it still seems like a lot of assets to give away. Um, and you know, some of the players were like, "Meh, they're probably not going to turn out to be much." So so that I'm not like so hurt by except maybe vando vando kind of hurts quite a bit actually um but those later draft picks really scare me they really scare me because we we might i mean we might need those especially like if we're running into some cat problems you know a good way to fix that is to draft some rookies but um overall i gotta say uh i think it's a good move because we do get our true five get our true center um and if Rudy Gobert's got at least like two or three years left in him of at least like top five defensive player of the year in him, then it's it's worth it. It's totally worth it, right? Yeah, I mean you're trading a four year window for a potential eight year window on the backside, right? And yeah. I think a lot of people had that initial reaction. And I and you know, the players I, I'm I'm in lockstep with you. Like I I'm gonna miss Vando. Like he's a good player. I mean to you know, coming out of Kentucky, um, you know, uh, had some issues there and really wasn't a heralded prospect coming into the NBA. But boy, he turned out to be a solid four. You could probably even play him at the three, but really a strong four. Well, it's just um, nice. Like he's he's a guy that just out hustles the other team. Like you don't see that much of the Timberwolves where you have the guy on the court that's just out hustling everyone. So it's like just to have that like fan favorite, just to have that guy with that motor, like that's going to be missed. Absolutely. And I think that motor is going to be missed with Patrick Beverly too, even though, you know, I think maybe you could call him a little divisive, I think with the way that he, but he brought a little swag to to the twin cities and, you know, he helped along with Edwards, I think to kind of give this team a little bit of attitude. Um, and like, we're not going to back down and we're going to be playing champs, baby, like it or not. Um, but I think we're going to miss his, 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 his presence defensively on the perimeter. And I hope he lands well. It sounds like Utah, um, might be trying to get him on a contender. It looks like they're going to try to trade Mitchell and just blow the whole thing up, which, Mm -hmm. you know, sounds like Danny Ainge is trying to have his swan song out there in the, in the Western desert. Um, And, you know, I, I guess Malik Beasley, it's kind of like I good, good shooter, streaky shooter, but from that position, I want instant offense on my second team. And I think Jalen Noel is probably better equipped to bring that off the bench, um, you know, backing up, Edwards, so I don't see a big loss with him, and you know the other two guys. I guess um, we'll see. You know the rookies, the rookie, and Bolmero. Again, I'd be surprised if he wasn't back in playing in Europe or South America in two years. 
Um, but the pick. So let's get to the picks. I thought long and hard about this, and I, I've heard every take in the book. And I, I don't know if I've necessarily listened to a podcast or read an article that really hit this on the head, but I got to thinking and like, you know, in Minnesota, we're so, we're so, um, what's the word? Worried about what we're going to lose because nobody wants to come here. And if they come, they don't want to stay here. Right. And Anthony Edwards is the cornerstone of this franchise. And he is eligible for the rookie max extension next year, which means we can offer him five additional years in addition to the last year of his contract, which would be six years at the end of the 2023 season. So if you're thinking to yourself, we want to put ourselves in a position where we're showing by locking up towns through 2028, by bringing in Rudy through 2026, we want to show and that we're in this. And I think that's what they did because if he signs that max rookie extension next year, and you know, I think they're going to need to do some salary cap stuff. It's probably going to involve Delo's contract in order to make that happen. You know, um, five years, 200 and however many million dollars, but then you've got Ant Edwards through 2029. You've got Carl Anthony Towns through 2028 and Rudy Gobert through 2026. And I just can't see Cat um, and Ant, you know, Cat in his prime and, and Ant coming into his as good as he is potentially in my mind. You know, I could see him three, four years from now being a top five player in the NBA, like a, like a, um, a um, MVP candidate and a guy that can like lead a deep charge into the playoffs. So, if we've got that's the big thing, and I, I said this over our text message, if we lock Anton next summer for five additional years, those those draft picks in the late twenty twenty scare me a whole lot less. Now injuries, stuff can happen. Guys can want out. You never know, so you're not really locked in. But I just I see this as a, the the Towns contract on one day and the Go Bear trade on the next day as a sign to Ant like we're all in this season and we're all in going forward, and we want you in Minnesota. So that's kind of like, and like everybody's saying in the market, it's weird. Day one, the Twin Cities was in, was on fire. Like what in the hell? Now people are like, hey man, we're going for it. We took a swing, you know, let's do this. <laughs> yeah. And when's the last time that we had the real sense that this team could go somewhere? How excited are you about that, Isaac, for the first time in 20 years? If things go right, we've got a chance to, to contend for the West. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this team feels good. It feels a lot better than 18 or, you know, around the Jimmy Butler time, like that kind of felt good too, but it never felt like it was the answer. It was like, we were maybe building towards something. Um, but this time it actually feels like really good. Like, I mean, I, you could probably say our starting lineups, like maybe top five in the league. Um, I don't know about our depth, how that compares to other teams. Um, that'd be a different conversation, but just looking at like starting fives, it's like, ours actually looks pretty scary. (laughs) So that's kind of cool. Like, so yeah, I mean it'll be a it'll be a fun next like two to three maybe four years. It's just I don't know. I feel like with the way the NBA is, it's like you're you're playing for the next two years basically because you don't know what's going to happen in four to five years because players don't stay put anymore. So it's like that's the part that scares me. It's like yeah, if we can sign Anthony Edwards, great. Like I hope he stays forever if he's the guy he is and he stays the like the person he is. But it's like. Who knows if that's the same story in a few years and, you know, he might, he might want out for some reason. I mean, this is Minnesota. We, uh, we find a way to ruin good teams. We find a way to ruin our franchise in some way. So it's like, if that story and that trend continues, then 
those those later draft picks are going to be nightmares. Yeah, that's that's the salient point, Isaac, is that, and that's why a lot of national um, commentators have said this is one of the worst trades in the last 30 years and the Timberwolves are on the losing end of it. Um, I don't like the idea of us going into a trade with Danny Ainge because he doesn't lose very often. So that does scare me, but I do think that there are contingencies here where this works out and we look back on it as like the difference maker in terms of starting the run, but you're right. It could equally go, you know, down the, down the, down the drain as they say. So I, I feel like it's just such a weird trade. Cause like usually you, you put this trade, on someone who's like a scorer is going to go out and get you buckets, who's like going to lead your team. And like, I wouldn't say Rudy Gobert's that, but at the same time, like, I don't think we really need a guy who's going to go out and get buckets because we have like basically three of them, you know, for sure two. Um, so it's like Rudy needs to come in and just play defense. And it like, and it's like, where does that unlock Cat and Ant and maybe even D'Lo, you know, playing with a true five? where like some of those picks you could say are just getting a better version of those three players as well. So it's like, like, do you spread out giving up all, all these picks to maybe like D'Lo, Ant, Cat all having better years as well? And like, does that then make it wor- worth it? Because if you're just looking at Rudy and all those assets, it's kind of tough to like see the value there. Well, it'll come down to what this team becomes, as you say, in this next three to four year window and what we do. And if we do well, even I think if we do well and make a run or two, even if we give up some assets second half of the decade as a fan base, you know, you think about we went all in with Sprewell and Cassell back in 04, but that was a one year, a one hit wonder. And, you know, it, it wasn't just the rest of the decade that we were shit. We were the, we were shit till 2018. You know, there, there was a 14 years there where we didn't even sniff what that team did. So I think, you know, the window you I might have liked to have seen us try to really do something next summer, especially with D'Lo possibly coming off the books. But um, this this ownership group, you know, this this trade signals to me that they're all in. And, mm-hmm. you know, what heartens me is that even if it does take a couple of left turns, your safety net are two guys that want to spend and want to win and want to build a new stadium, not um, our good old friend Glenn Taylor. When, when, when that's your safety net, like, we'll, I think we'll go into the luxury tax to some degree. You know, these guys want their, their new owners. They want to make their mark. So, um, and the, as we talked about in the last podcast, the salary cap is going to be going up significantly in the next three to four years. So that's hope our these, case. Yeah. These, these scary numbers will not look as scary when that happens. So with that, um, let's put a bow on Rudy Gobert and the Minnesota Timberwolves and talk about the team of the day which as we head into next Tuesday, the Major League Baseball All-Star game, the Minnesota Twins, your Minnesota Twins, currently yeah. 49 and 42 and first in the AL Central. Um, as of last night, three and a half games up on Cleveland, four on Chicago, um, and sending two guys to the All-Star game in Luis Arise and, and Byron Buxton. So let's start with those two. And Isaac, who do you want to uh, bring up to bat first? I mean, usually Luis arrives, so that way he can get on base real quick. Um, okay. <laughs> that'd be great. I mean, he's leading the league in on-base percentage. Like, pretty incredible. This guy, just like watching him, watching him at bat is just amazing. It's like it's like an art form. I don't even, like, just watch him if you haven't. It's great. Um, so I was, I was getting kind of really upset that he wasn't going to be a starter at the All-Star game. So I was like, really, people? Come on. Like, the, lead, the league leader in average and like if you watch this guy at all he's entertaining as heck so like that was frustrating but i'm glad he ended up getting it anyways 
Um, but he's tremendous. I just love that he's kind of like a utility guy too. Like he can play multiple positions, um, which has been great that he can fill in first because our big old slugger first baseman that we thought was going to do great for us, uh, you know, gets hurt a lot and or doesn't do great for us. So Miguel Sano, tip your hat to you, man. Um, but yeah, love the guy, Luis Arise. He's he's phenomenal. I hope he's a twin forever. Um, gosh, just yeah, get that man up to the plate. Let him do his let him let him do his work his magic. Well, I'm going to borrow this uh, quote from another colleague of mine, Lou Hennessy, um, who happens to also write for Zone Coverage, uh, covers the Twins. If he's good enough for your dad, he's good enough for you. <laughs> <laughs> and you know. It, Shout out to you, Louie, because you hit it on the head. You know, I'm a dad and I grew up with, you know, I'd, I'd go to my, um, we didn't get a newspaper subscription to a daily at my, at our house. We just had the weekly county paper, but my grandparents, um, down in Lake Wilson, Minnesota had a farm and they had a daily subscription to the daily globe and the globe carried a sports section, which had, you know, the national statistics. And that was the way that we got our information back in the late eighties. So we'd go to my parents, grandparents' place once a month, and the first thing my brother and I would do would open up the sports section of the Daily Globe, and then I would always go to the standings first and then to the league leaders. And mm-hmm. it was fun. It was fun, especially when Puckett was in his prime, and you'd see guys batting 340, 350, 355, like vying for the American League and National League batting title. You know, Tony Gwynn, you know, Wade Boggs, um, Kirby Puckett. And I think when I look at him, he, the guy he reminds me the most of, is Tony Gwynn because he fills the bat. He gets, he really, he's five foot 10 and, and Gwen was five foot 11. They're both lefties and kind of stocky guys, short strike zones, and they really fill that batter's box. Mm-hmm. There's not, and they just, you, you can't get them out. And I think you're right. Like his, this is the thing that like harkens back to the glory days of baseball back in the eighties and nineties for those of us that are in our forties, fifties, sixties and beyond like guys that just put the ball in play you know, 12 pitch at bats and in this era of home run or strikeout, just from an, an aesthetic perspective, what you're saying, it's so fun to watch. And what I'm saying, like, this is the way baseball should be played. And I'm not saying it's necessarily more effective than analytics and, you know, home run strikeout ball. I'm not, but from a fan perspective, watching him go up to, if you turn on Bally sports or wherever you can get the twins, if you can, can, can I figure turn out Bally sports anywhere, I can't, I don't know. <laughs> But if he's up to bat, right, like you stick on the channel, oh, yeah. even if you got a good show on or you got a good movie on, you know, and for sure. Um, but I, I do. He's he's a foundational part of our core now, is he not? Oh, yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I'd be I'd be upset if they thought of him any differently. I mean, just like a crazy stat just to get just to give to you. He he's just shy of 300 at bats and he has 27 strikeouts. 27. Yeah, like you can't strike him out. It's crazy. He's he, he, yeah, he has he has nine more walks than strikeouts. Which, if you look at all like the batting leaders, like that's not a thing. Like normally, people have like double the strikeouts to walk ratio. So he's just oh, it's just incredible. I don't know. And you know, I when he came up, even you know, I I guess twenty nineteen. I can't say I was on the Luisa Rice train, but the twenty twenty season. Um, I started to watch him and really pay attention to these at bats and he wasn't um you know the guy that he's become now but just you, you know he just fights off so many pitches mm-hmm. and Husky. W- what I've seen is like you know he's um he's probably going to double his career high in, uh, in in doubles this year and he's got a little pop in his back 
when he pulls it. And I wonder, because you can put him at second, right? He's okay. Mm-hmm. He's been a pretty decent first baseman. In a pinch, you throw him in third. They pulled him in from the outfield, so he's not playing um, out outfield anymore. And then, you know, obviously he has some games where he's the DH, but I just kind of wonder from a defensive perspective, you know, Winston knows back and then you got Polanco, Polanco at second. Um, and if you want to incorporate Sano back into the lineup in some way, you're not going to do it in favor of a rise. So if he's your first baseman, you know, if, if really that's where he's going to find a field, a spot on the field, if he's not DHing, is there enough pop in his bat? you know, to really be the kind of first baseman that you need, where you need power. And what I wonder is if the Twins will double down on that, kind of the way the Astros did with Carlos Correa, where he's always been a good hitter, but coming up, he was really, he was a contact guy, but they, they they worked him into over the course of his first five or six years, a guy that could also, you know, hit for power. And um, so those are the sort of the things in my mind, like where does he ultimately, you know, um, fit in this Twins lineup? And what does it mean when... When when Sano comes back and, you know, what does that mean about Polanco? There's just a lot of questions because there's so many, like, field players. We have so much depth um, in our lineup and in and, and our field players, which yeah. we can get to, I think, a little bit later on maybe in terms of the trade deadline. But let's let's move on um, from he's good enough for your dad. Um, he's good enough for you to another guy that is sort of a throwback if you really look down at the stats, and that's Byron Buxton. Um, so he's an all-star Isaac. Does he deserve to be? <laughs> um, I mean, it's tough to say. I feel like his stats are a lot. Um, but he's like, he's up there in home runs, right? 23 home runs. Yeah. He's like tied for seventh, I think. So like, if you look at it that way, hitting wise, anyways, he's at least like doing something that way. But I think he's probably an all-star because of his fielding, right? Like his fielding's phenomenal. Like this, this is a guy that like if he's batting sub two fifty, he's still worth having out there every day because he can save you runs out in the outfield. Um, just got wheels, uh, wheels out in the outfield. He's just got range. Um, I think he deserves it, but I'm also a little bit of a homer. But Byron Buxton's the man. Now, what do you what do you mean by his stats are a little old school? What do you, where are you going with that? I think some of the guys. Um... Back, you know, and this he's, he's new school, but you know there were guys back in the '80s and '90s even that, like a Rob Deere for the Milwaukee Brewers, who would, you know, knock out 35 or 40 home runs and bat 205, which mm-hmm. in that era was like you know a significant variance from the league average. Buxton, he does have the 23 home runs. 12 of them, I think, I heard on a broadcast recently, have also been go-ahead home runs. But um, he's also had 85 strikeouts. His slugging is at a three-year low despite the home runs. He has 54 total hits with 23 of them being home runs. And you talk of his, his field game, you know, his, his play in, in center field kind of, you know, making him that two-way player, but he's only played in 69 of 90 games this year. And one third of those starts have been at DH. So he's played 44 of the 90 games in center field or 91 now. So less than half of yeah. the games that the twins have played. He's not in the top 50 in baseball and war. So, He's getting the nod because he's got a little, I mean, I don't want to call it hype, but Byron Buxton's had some kind of hype momentum behind him because of his just pure talent and the home runs pop out at you, but you look at the rest of it and like, they're really, um, they're doing some load management because of his, you know, hip knee ankle injuries at different points this season. And they're, and you know, Rocco, and I don't blame him. 
he's trying to keep him, you know, playing by keeping him on the shelf half the time. Um, treating him like his pitchers, huh? <laughs> I was thinking a little bit more Kawhi Leonard NBA sort of deal, but we can get into the <laughs> pitching. But yeah, so it, it, I just I, I don't know. I, I it's, it's his first all star all star appearance, so he's he's probably deserving. But you know, he's not really having the kind of year that um because I mean he was batting above three hundred, and I think what did he end last year at two eighty? Uh, but he's had much better. Early in his career, this is who he was. He could barely get above the Mendoza line, you know? And yeah. so I just, I, I wonder if those injuries can, because he's chasing a lot of pitches and he just seems like if he gets the bat, the head of the bat on the ball, like it, he's going to pop it. But, um, you know, he's um, just, I don't think that he's an all, the all around hitter. He has been the last couple of years when he's been healthy. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's almost like he's in a cold streak. We'll see if he catches fire. I feel like he's been kind of a streaky hitter throughout his career. So he'll like go on runs where he'll just hit like 350 or better, and then that'll like bring up his average quite a bit. So mm, mm. I, guess, I guess the hope would be that that happens towards the the second half of the season here because I mean we're going to need that run too because you know the like we're not far away from the other AL Central teams. So if we really want to make the playoffs, we're going to have to probably kick it in gear again. Um. So it would be cool if he can. I mean, first off, if he's out there playing, will be yeah. cool, right? That'll be something new. But um, also, if he catches fire a little bit, I just think, yeah, that the narrative in terms of the All Star, the narrative's been in his favor this year because he signed that contract that was talked about a lot. He's had some really big hits and big moments that have been, you know, like that's what people see is those highlights. And then he's also like, even though he hasn't played the field much, I've seen at least a handful of catches by him this year that have been like, oh my gosh. So like talking all-star wise, like it makes sense because it's like his name's out there, mm-hmm. you know, and people are going to vote for names they've heard of, um, which is also a reason why Louis Arise, I don't think, got as many votes because his name isn't out there as much, at least not yet. So yeah, maybe the all-star will give him a little spark. Yeah, no, I think like, you know, those five days where you're off and, you know, you're at the all-star game among the league's best, like sometimes that does have a um, a significant impact on, you know, in performance in the second half. And the Twins, you know, you look at the lineup with Arise and Buxton and Carlos Correa and Max Kepler and Jorge Polanco. And then, you know, you throw in Jose Miranda and, um, you know, whether it's Trevor Larnick or, or Kirilov or whomever, but there's, you look up and down the lineup and you can see why we're eighth in the league and runs scored. What has surprised me is that we're, we're 12th and runs allowed. I mean, 12th best. So with coming into the year, you know, with this pitching staff and this rotation and the number of injuries that we've seen, I just do not know how we're piecing this all together where we, the bottom hasn't fallen out. Now we're not like, we're a middle of the, of the road pitching staff. But yeah. it hasn't been our like downfall. It's right. probably what's preventing us from being even better than we are. So let's start with the starting rotation and at the top, Sonny Gray. And Yeah, I mean, I thought he's been pretty solid. It seems like he's been probably one of our better starters this year. Um, he's just, I don't know, he's filled in. He's give, given us solid innings. Um, and I don't know, he's just, he's just pitched well. It's, I mean, it's, I feel like it's hard to talk about starting pitchers with the Twins because it's like, they only go so many innings. Like the number of games I've seen where you look at the box score and the starter's only gone like five innings is like darn near every game. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, they do a good job of starting it off, but they don't really ever like get too deep into it to where um, they kind of have 
I guess the opportunity to mess it up. Um, now I think Sonny Gray just got rocked yesterday or whatever against the White Sox. So he'll still have his games, but I just feel like he's been, he's been pretty solid in terms of the rest of the, the starting rotation anyways. Um, and kind of like kind of the same for Joe Ryan. Like they've kind of been the, the one and two punch, I would say, on our rotation thus far, which <laughs> is maybe a little concerning that that's our one two one two punch. But um, I think they've done enough to keep us in games at least, which mm-hmm. has been really good. Well, to your point about Sunny Gray, twelve starts, fifty nine innings, so averaging less than five innings per outing as yeah. your quote unquote one starter. I, I won't say the word ace, but you're right. I mean, he's got good control. His ERA is just a smidge above three, um, but he's been injured twice in April and June. So he's been the best pitcher I think for the Twins this year when he's on the mound, but yeah. he's missed quite a bit of time with that hamstring and pectoral issues. And Joe Ryan. So have you watched the latest episode, our latest season of Stranger Things? I have not yet. No. Okay. Have you heard much about Eddie? I haven't yet. Okay. Well, I'm like pretty sh- doppelganger. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the three weeks on the COVID list was actually Joe Ryan going to double as <laughs> as as Eddie from Stranger Things. Because if you take a look at the two of them, um, you'll see what I mean. But okay. <laughs> yeah, he did miss those three weeks on the COVID list. Um, he's 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 leads the twins in innings and strikeouts 75 innings and i think 66 strikeouts he's six and three with a 2.99 era and he's the only guy maybe that has a chance of getting to 10 wins on this staff um which is kind of crazy but i think you're right i think Sonny gray and joe ryan have both been a little bit better than expected um but you get beyond them you know devin smelter he's been serviceable like he's a decent three or four starter yeah. Um, but you know, Chris Archer, he's, as you said, when we signed him four years past his prime, hasn't done poorly when he has been out there, but he's been hurt with hip issues. He's 33 in his 10th year and Dylan Bundy, you know, he's got a career ERA, ERA near five in more than seven years. So at best he's, <laughs> he's probably he's, your, he's right on par. <laughs> yeah. He's probably your fourth or fifth starter. You know, I mean, you're he has really good games and like he'll have like really dynamite starts and then he'll pitch the next game and give up five runs and in two innings. So I, yeah, if he's, if he's your four or five, I don't think that's the end of the world, but I just hope he's not, you know, in our top three that we'd be having some issues. Well, this, 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 uh, rotation, um, Isaac, which is not surprising is the fourth lowest in the majors in quality starts with 22%. Which is putting a tremendous amount of pressure on our bullpen. And the thing is, the bullpen's not deep. And that's what I can't get past is that you're not letting your starters like really do anything but start. And your bullpen's not deep. And yet, like we're we're kind of piecing it together, like enough. Like where we're we're the team as a whole is 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 above average and you know the pitching's you know good enough. Um but let's talk a little bit about um, Johan Duran. Do you so, before you yeah. go there? Do you do you have the definition of a quality start? So like six innings. I think it's six innings. Yeah, where you give it, up does, four or less runs, I believe. Okay. Yeah. So don't quote our, me on that. Most of our starters don't even like get the chance to have a quality start because they get pulled before the six. <laughs> right, and but there's just not a lot uh, of arms out in the bullpen that really impress me. Um, yeah, you know, but Duran's been one of them and he's been, you know, a a bit of a, uh, of a, of a revelation this year. So initial thoughts on him. 
yeah, I mean, he should be our closer. Like, especially as we move into, like, if we make the playoffs, um, we're going to need a closer, like a guy we can turn to. I think every, every good team, every team that's won the world series, I'm pretty sure has a closer, right? I'm not saying we're going to win the world series this year, but it's like, we need to designate a closer. And I feel like Pagan has not been great. He's been all right, but not great for a closer. He doesn't shut the door as often as he needs to. And D- Duran is the guy that will. And he's like he's like electric too. You watch the guy and he's exciting to watch. Like that's the kind of closer you want, right? Um so at the at the ripe age of twenty four, I think you gotta get this guy into some more like stressful situations and just let him let him either thrive or just learn from it. Um Well that hundred and three mile per hour face fastball is forever gonna be a selling point, right? And oof, yeah. He can blow that guy some high some real high heat and you know, he doesn't walk a lot of guys and he has one of the highest chase percentages in the league. But, you know, I've seen in a number of outings where when he's really sometimes he does have trouble hitting his spots. Yeah. Not he's not wild, but like, with you know, throwing that hard. That's one of the you know guys that throw 100 or more. It's often the knock on them is how well can you control it? But which I've like which I've been impressed with him about. Like, yeah, he's gotten wild for sure. But like, I think that was the the grief on him coming up was like, like he can't he can't spot his pitches, but I feel like this year he's proven he's at least like quality enough to at least belong up here. You know, like, absolutely. I feel like that that hasn't been like a real issue. Like, yeah, it'll happen here and there, but it hasn't been like something that truly like is marking him as potentially not a good pitcher. Well, it's him and Griffin Jacks that have been the real consistent, like backbone of that bullpen. Um, And beyond that, you know, there's a lot of question marks, and I wonder if you bring, you know, if we get Jorge Alcala back coming, you know, oh, off the huge the 60 day injured list, you know, with that elbow tightness, and you put him alongside of uh, Duran, and you've got a couple of guys that can, uh, you know, throw throw some heat, but still not a, not a lot of lefties out there. No, um, and you know, uh, of course, we lost, or I guess we didn't lose him. He's still on the on the on the staff, but. I mean, Pagan had a 2.45 ERA and nine saves through June 16th. And yeah. since then, since that Cleveland series, I want to say, or where the, where the wheels really fell off, 11.42 ERA and 10 appearances. So Pagan needs to be bygone from that starter's <laughs> role. And I think you're right. Like if you put Duran there and, and, and you know, maybe you move Alcala into the setup role if he comes yeah. back healthy. But I still wonder, um, you know, what, what are we going to do with Josh Winder? Because he's really shown, um, you know, three and one. He's been three and one with a one point two seven ERA in his last four starts. But, you know, is he a guy that you're going to keep in your starting rotation? Could you use him to help shore up your bullpen? And do we do we shore up our bullpen, or do we go after a starter that can consistently get us five to six innings, good innings? My only worry with that is like Rocco doesn't even let that happen. But um, it'd be nice if our starters could. Or at least we had another starter that was able to consistently get us like half the game pitched, you know? Yeah, so. you know, I, that's the question. What will the the the, the Levine Falvey administration do? And for the most part, you know, at the trade deadlines in their tenure, they've do, haven't done much more than, you know, um maybe pick up a couple of the guys on the edges. They haven't made that real blockbuster deal. You know, Sergio Romo was a was a nice pickup a few years back for um for the stretch run out of the bullpen but i think you know i don't think they're going to do both i don't think they're going to pick up a starter and a bullpen guy i think they're going to go for one or the other and 
maybe, you know, it's maybe it's how you feel about um, Chris Archer coming back and what you do with Winder. Um, and, you know, if you're going to get a healthy Jorge Alcala, but I, I think they need to do something um, because like you said, the AL Central has gotten tight and, you know, there's going to be three uh, wildcard teams, but Seattle, Tampa, Boston, and Toronto are all kind of in that 47, 48 win range mm, right alongside yeah. the twins. So if we get knocked out of first by the White Sox or the, or the, um, the, the guardians still um, getting used to saying that, um, you know, you're going to, you're going to be right in contention for, for, you know, even saving yourself as a wild card. So I, I, I think they patched it together long enough where if we don't do something, I just worry that um, this pitching staff is going to be the Achilles heel down the stretch. So what, what would you do? Would you bring in a lefty closer or a lefty, really good lefty setup man, or would you go for a starter? I guess if, if they could, if they could find a closer that was just lights out, that's what I would, that's what I would do. Cause then you have that closer and then you'd have Duran and hopefully Alcala as setup men. Um, so basically your, your eight, eighth and ninth innings are, are done and over with. Like you can write those off as being like, as, as long as we're up, we're good. Um, so then you just have to piece together the like sixth and seventh inning. Um, which I think, I mean, they've been doing a pretty decent enough job so far of doing that, um, that I think they could do that. So, I mean, if there was a closer out there, they could go get that I think would be my number one. And then if that wasn't it, I'd probably go get a starter just because our starters outside of Joe Ryan and Sonny Gray. I mean, it'd be nice to have one more guy that gave you solid, solid innings. Um, and also had, you know, a bit lower of an ERA than the other, than the other guys on our, on our roster, but closer to me would be number one. Yeah. I, I think holding on to the division lead is going to be key because if we don't, we're likely dropping into fifth or sixth place in the American league, which means there's a good chance we're out in Yankee stadium again. If we win the division, we'll play the last wildcard team in, which will give us home field advantage. And we won't be playing the Yankees, which I think, you know, you think I just can't see Sonny Gray, Joe Ryan, and whatever combination of Smeltz or Bundy Archer, or maybe Winder. I just can't see them going out to, the Bronx and, and pitching and coming out victorious against that lineup. I think it'd be a bit of a murder again. I feel like we always, that's always what happens when we go there in the playoffs, especially Uber. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to that guy? Still... I don't know. I don't know. He's probably driving Lyft now. Oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh man. So yeah, I, I would say, if not a closer, because I think I, I would like to see Duran kind of move into that role and see how he does kind of on a game in, game out basis. And then, you know, if you bring in a guy alongside Griffin Jackson and Alcala, particularly a lefty, because lefties are just eating us yeah. up out of the pen. And, yeah. you know, we have 17 blown leads this year, which is a little deceiving because if your bullpen is in, you know, in the latter half of the fourth inning, like, there's a lot of lead changes in the middle part of the game, right? So it's a little deceiving to say your bullpen is blowing leaves when it's two to one in the fourth and, you know, you got field bar running out of the the pen, like, and he gives up a two run shot. But um, I definitely think that I, I mean, I got to say two things that I've impressed by with, with Baldelli is that given the talent on this pitching staff, like I think he's probably taken the right approach, even if it isn't the historically, um, 
or aesthetically pleasing approach in terms of how he uses his pitchers. But I think he's gotten the most out of, out of the guys that are available because it's not a very deep t- pitching staff. It's a pretty young one. And there's been a lot of injuries, right? And then yeah. secondly, just the way that he's mixing and matching, you know, with uh, in, in the lineup cards, you know, and using that DH spot to really, you know, get Sanchez out there if Jeffers is catching or vice versa, or, you know, get Buxton out there if you're putting Celestino out and right, or, um, you know, getting a rise out there if you're playing Kirilov at first and, and Polanco at second. So it's just a lot of versatility. And there's, you know, there's 14 guys that have, played in 30 or more games this year um, for the Twins. Or I want to say, no, uh, 35 or more games. So Jeffers, Arise, Polanco, Correa, Urshela, Gordon, Buxton, Kepler, Sanchez, Miranda, Larnick, Celestino, Kirilov, and Garlic. And that doesn't, um, and you know, that's Sano and Royce Lewis pretty much, you know, um, being on the, the DL for a good chunk of the year. So that's where I think if you pair, we have quite a bit of farm system depth. And I think we've got a lot of um, field position depth. I think you could take a couple of these guys and you could get something like, what are you going to do? I mean, Urshela and Correa are both both pretty much one year rentals until Miranda and, and, and Lewis take over. Right. Probably. Could you trade them for value to a contender? Do you want to, if you see yourself trying to hold on to the division? I don't know. Miranda's made it pretty enticing. I'd like to see that guy in the lineup every day. Remember when we saw him last year in St. Paul, he had that dinger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's just a he's he's a gamer. He's a gamer. He started out really cold this year too. I was kind of like worried when he got up to the bigs that it was too big for him. But he's I think he's starting to figure it out. Kind of a, a real sense of the moment too, like Buxton. He's, he's getting a knack for these walk offs. Yeah, so maybe that yeah. could be something if they feel Miranda's ready. Get rid of one of those guys. I'd like to hang on Correa, like just because I think in the postseason he's the kind of bat that can really make a difference, but. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, where do you put if you've got Gordon, Celestino, Kirilov, and Larnick, like, and you got Kepler out and right and Buxton and center, like, you know, it's nice to have one or two of those guys, but do you need four of them? Right. Especially when your pitching pitching staff isn't like lights out. It'd be different if our pitching staff was already like really good. Then it's like, yeah, keep all this depth. We're we're good to go. But it's like, yeah, when you need to shore up one end of the game, like kind of got to give up something some of your depth to be a little more competitive in that area right yeah i think this is the case where we have the ability to do it where i don't think it would significantly impact the other side of the ball so i i, I don't know if we take a big swing the way the wolves just did but i'd like to see us like do something that says you know this fan base it's like we're in first place but people are thinking about oh and 18 in the playoffs and you know they're just kind of they're not they're not energized, even though we have a chance to make the playoffs for the fourth time in six years. But I, I don't feel really much talk or buzz around the twins. And maybe that'll pick up on the backside of the all-star break, but um, well, I have to team... prove it state too. Cause it's like, they've been so up and down this year. Like, yeah, they're in first, but even if you look at like, if you go to baseball reference and look at that, like bar on it, that shows you like their games throughout the year, Uh huh. like their wins and losses are like huge. So they either win by a lot or they lose by a lot. And it's like, so like that consistency in itself, it's like, you don't know how to really feel about about it because any day they could win by a lot, any day they could get stomped. And they're seven games above 500 right now, but they were nine at the end of May. So they played less than 500 ball, um, 19 and 20, 19 and 21. Now I should say in June and July. 
since so a month and a half now where and i think it's some of these injuries piling up especially on the mound so you know yeah. we get we get you know chris archer back and maybe we get alcala back and um you know we make one trade and and that could be enough that could be enough for us because this al central is not murderer's row no no it'd be <laughs> a perfect year for us to get there trade deadline right. august 2nd right yeah yeah so we'll likely have another pod between now and then. I think we're going to be turning our attention to St. Paul and the Minnesota United. But if, if anything big rooms. comes up or, you know, there's any big transaction or something that, that that we see coming, we'll definitely have to circle back to the good old Twinkies of Minneapolis-St. Paul. All right, Isaac. Well, it's been fun uh, to, to kind of unpack the Rudy Gobert trade a bit and to get back up to speed with our, our um, hometown baseball team. So as you always do, could you take us out? course yes stifle tower welcome to minnesota good to have you man um <laughs> don't forget to be on buxton and arise in the all-star game let's go let's go minnesota um thanks for listening and you guys stay safe out there